you're listening to sermons from Grace Bible Church in Eufaula, Oklahoma. We're a church on mission to glorify God by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Learn more at gbcufaula.com. Open with me to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to finish the book this morning. In verses, we're going to read 13 through 21. We left off, we'll pick back up today in verse 16, but really this section goes together. And so <clears throat> I want to read the whole thing, starting in verse 13. 1 John 5, 13 through 21. John concluding his letter says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we don't have to wander through this life wondering if we belong to you, but we can know. And you've given us this wonderful letter, Lord. That, that, that weighs out for us, that, that gives us the weights to weigh ourselves. Are we in the faith? Do we believe in Jesus? Do, do our actions match up to that which we confess? Are we loving others as you sh showed your love by sending your son to die? Father, and if, and if we can see these things in our life, we know. We can know. We have full assurance that we are in you because you shed love abroad in our hearts. You are good. You and you alone, O oh God. And so any goodness in us is the result of the, your spirit at work in us, Lord. And I thank you for the assurance that you give and pray that as we... Close out this book today, Lord, that you would help us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. So don't know if any of you have read much. 
from an author, C.S. Lewis. But there is a, uh, a book in the, actually the Chronicles of Narnia series that's my favorite one. It's, it's titled uh, A Horse and His Boy. And in the beginning of the book, there's a character by the name of Shasta, a young boy. And Shasta is the son of a fisherman. At least he thinks he is, right? And, and it's just him and his, his dad, and he fishes for a living. His dad is this rude, brash, rough, tough dude, right? And, and one night, Shasta overhears uh, his dad talking to uh, a, a colorman is, is, is the name of the, the people that, that have come, and he wants to purchase his son as a slave, and Shasta overhears this, and so that night he actually steals the man's horse, which happens to be a Narnian horse, and so an adventure sets out. They're headed north to Narnia, to, to, to the land of the free, and along the way there's, there's many different things uh, that they run across, but they have to go through the city of the Tisrock to get to uh, Archenland, to get to Narnia, and they overhear that this, this wicked people are going to overtake Archenland. And so now the, there's an urgency in him. I've got to get there to warn the people. They're going to come surprise, attack them. And so they, they cut through the desert, and, and, and it's, a, it's a treacherous road so that they can beat the armies going to Archenland. And they arrive there in time and warn the army, and there's a big battle, and Narnia wins, right? Uh, Archenland wins, and then Shasta, the hero of the day, right? He goes up before the king, and the king goes, My son, my son, you were stolen away from me as a child. And here you are again. Shasta learns that he is not the son, some reject of a fisherman in some far off land, but he was actually taken into slavery. And all along, he's been a child of the king. And he comes to realize that. And in the end of the book, it's, it's rather funny. He's talking to a friend who made the journey with him. And he's like, well, I'm royalty now and I have to start acting like it. So I have to learn how to fight properly. I have to learn how to eat properly. I have to learn how to dress properly. I have to learn how to be the son of a king. And if you've come to the realization that you yourself are a child of the king, of the true king, of Jesus Christ, we must act like the royalty that he has called us to in this earth, right? We must look like the king. We must talk like the king. We must put on the robes that the king gives, right? And, and, and that's kind of what we're learning here. So we began last week to, when closing this book with, with That You May Know was the title of the sermon. That you may know, and we're continuing with that. If if that th- this is like one long sermon, I I I hope to to that's what this is from last week to this week. Last week we're looking at that you may know, and we saw that we can know that we have eternal life, right? In 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 verse thirteen, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. What a joy and privilege it is to know that we have eternal life. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to wonder if our good works are enough to please God in the end. We know that they're not good enough. Christ's work was enough. And we put our faith and our hope and our trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it is enough. 
We can know that we have eternal life. And the second thing we saw was that we can know that God not only hears our prayers, but he answers our prayers. Not only that he hears our prayers, but God answers our prayers when we pray according to his will. So uh, I'm going to pick up here in verse 16, which really kind of leaves off where we were talking about prayer last week as we move into verse 18, uh, which is where we'll get to the first point today. But as we look at verse 16 and 17, he says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Uh, There's the obvious question, what in the world is sin that leads to death? We'll, We'll touch that, okay? But the main thing, the main thing, right, is is if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. This is coming off the heels of prayer that is according to the will of God. And so here's for certain one prayer that is the will of God. When you see your brother or sister committing sin, go and tell everybody else what you saw. No. Go before the throne of grace and petition your heavenly father that he might grant them repentance and he will do so. Can you imagine... Can you imagine for a moment if we saw one of our brothers and sisters doing something they ought not, conducting themselves in a way they ought not, that is sin, if we would immediately go before the throne of grace on their behalf, what the sanctification of the saints among us would look like. I fell in this. Right? I fall short in this. We are called to go before the throne of grace on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And God will hear our prayers. We know he says he will hear our prayers. That prayer is the will of God. He will restore us to life. What a way to deal with the grievance. What a way to deal with someone else's sin that that we not go, well, look at them. I hope they get right. Right. That's not the attitude. The attitude is to come before the throne and pray for them. Right. That's what's being said here. Not only do we have the access that we can come confidently before the throne of grace. Not only do we know that he hears our prayers, but he answers them when we pray according to his will and his will is that we walk in life and we can pray for one another. Right. He says, I will give them life to those who commit sins that do not lead To death, right? Again, this is the confidence that we have before God. What then is the most effective thing we can do for our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially concerning struggles with sin, but bring them before the Lord. There is sin that does not lead to death, and it says there's sin that leads to death, right? This is a very difficult passage to understand, to interpret, Everybody wrestles with it that I've listened to, talked to. I've taken a bunch of people's ideas and just I'm going to do the best I can here. Right. There's two possibilities. The sin that leads to death is either physical death or it's spiritual death. If 
this death is a physical death, then what we have here is a Christian, a believer, somebody who is in Jesus Christ, who God is going to take out of the way for the purpose of his, to preserve his church to, for some reason, right? Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5. They lied to the Holy Spirit, right? They kept back for themselves and God removed them. And it showed the church there was fear in the church. Oh, we don't play games with God. Right? There was uh, uh, in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you have the Corinthians. They're taking communion and they're not doing it in a godly manner. Right? They're abusing the table of the Lord. Uh, they're using the communion to become drunk and get their fill. And, and, and Paul tells them that many of you are sick and some have even died because you have taken of the Lord's table wrongly. So the Lord has brought an end to some, though they may be in Christ. Uh, he's got to take them out of the way for their own good and for the good of his church. That's a possibility. There's also, it could be seen as a spiritual death. If it's not a physical death and it's a spiritual death, then it can't be a believer because God keeps those whom he saves. God will preserve them for to the end. He will raise them up on the last day as he said he would in John 6. Right? And so if it's a spiritual death, then what we have is a believer or a non-believer, excuse me, posing as a believer, we know that many weeds will grow amongst the wheat, right? There's a non-believer who claims to be believer and who blasphemes the Holy Spirit, who walks away, who is apostate. We get a kind of a picture of it in Hebrews chapter 6. It says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt, <clears throat> for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from the Lord. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and uh, near of being cursed. So what we have would be uh, uh, somebody who claims to be a Christian, one who has set under the preaching of the word of God, one who, who has enjoyed the fellowship of the saints for some time and then at a particular point says, no, I don't want that. No, God, you're a lie. I want to fill up myself with the passions of this world. John dealt with this in chapter 2. They went out from us because they were never a part of us, Right? The other possibility here is sin that leads to death is one who has blasphemed the Holy Spirit, one who has walked seemingly with the Lord for many years and then denounced his name and taken up the pleasures of this world. They were never of us. They seem like it. And for them to have heard and to have tasted and to have been in the sweet fellowship and experienced the love and all these things and to turn away to them. They're in a bad place, right? So what she's talking about, 
I would, I would seem to think the second, right? If they're a born-again believer and the Lord takes them out of the way, it's a little late to pray for them, right? But if, if, if one has, especially in this church, filled with this false belief of uh, Gnosticism, right? They're going to receive this letter and some things are going to be made right, made straight, right? People might decide to, to, to walk away seemingly from the faith and they need to know. This is going to happen, right? So the main thing, verse 18, the first point, you can know that you have victory over sin, right? First, you can know that you have eternal life. Second, you can know that he hears your prayers and answers them according to his will. And third thing, and we see the first thing this week is, you can know that you have victory over sin. Look what he says in verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that everyone who is born of God does not keep on sinning, right? Something happened. Something drastic, a miracle happened. Right? Because what we learn is in Ephesians chapter one, uh, 2 is that you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world. Right? You were under the influence and power of the evil one, the prince of the power of the air that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You were dead. You had no life in you. You were dead to the things of God. You were under the influence and power of Satan himself. That is your old nature. But something happened. That something that happened was Christ came in. Christ was revealed to you. Your eyes were open. The Holy Spirit came and delivered to you the greatest gift that there is. The gift of grace that that, that, and faith that you were then able to exercise and believe upon Jesus Christ. And your whole world changed. You encountered Christ Jesus. And you inherited a new nature. You inherited a new nature. So now the old nature is under the power of Satan and the evil one. There was no restraint. Your eyes saw and you wanted and you took. Uh, uh, your mind thought and you sought after it until you achieved it with no regard for what is good or holy or righteous. And now God has intervened. God has intervened. And so there is a new nature, right? Behold, I make all things new. The old has passed away. The new has come. You now have the, the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Uh, one time you saw the thing of the world and you wanted it, but now you see the thing of the world and there's something stopping you. You have a new nature. You have the very nature of God. He has put his word in your heart. He has written his law on your heart. He has given you the Holy Spirit right, to to. That teaches us the things concerning Christ. You have a new nature. You were born in the flesh. Now you have been born of the spirit. And it is the spirit that leads and guides you. And we are at war against sin that is at work in our flesh. We're at war 
with sin at work in our flesh. And you can know that you have victory over sin. You don't have to continue. In fact, you mustn't continue in your sin. He says. He says that that no one uh, that, that we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. And we know that we have victory over sin when we stop sinning. Right? And, and I don't want you to think that, oh crap, I just I, I sinned this morning. Right? Me too. I'm sure of it. That, that's not what I'm, I'm talking about here. Right? That, that you have a new nature. Right? That God intervened. That, that, that God intervened. That His Spirit came And now the things that I once loved, there's a resistance to them, right? We we have stopped pursuing the things that God hates. And we have started pursuing the things that God loves. we, We don't keep sinning. We do sin. But praise God, chapter 2 tells us that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, Right? So we don't continue in sin. We don't keep sinning. We don't abide in sin. We abide in Christ. And though we sin, we have an advocate. But we resist sin. Right? We have a new nature. And now we're walking away from the old nature because we have victory over sin. Christ was enough. He, 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 he conquered sin. Right? Therefore, we are conquering sin. We are counted righteous. We are perfectly whole in the heavenlies. But as we walk through this life, we're trying to walk accordingly. To please God, to live a life that glorifies God. We can know we have victory over sin when we stop sinning. When we stop seeking after sin. When we stop pursuing sin. You know this happens when you feel bad over your sin. I'm not talking guilt. I'm talking about conviction that comes from the power of the Holy Ghost. Not guilt. Guilt makes us turn our head in shame. Conviction makes us crawl to the cross of Christ for His rich forgiveness because we know we're forgiven. Right? We have victory over sin. 1 John 3.9 says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So the idea of keep on sinning here has to do with practice, the practice of sin. We no longer practice sin, but we know that we have victory over sin because what he has done in our heart has caused us to be one who practices righteousness. We're no longer Practicing sin, trying to fill up the pleasures of our own flesh, right? We've been redeemed from that, but rather we're practicing righteousness that pleases God. Two, we know we we know that we have victory over sin when we behold Christ who keeps us. When we behold Christ who keeps us. It's an amazing blessing. If you've been in the faith for any amount of time, I, I, I was thinking, how long have I been a Christian? And Tuesday, this week, will be 28 years. 
28 years. And it's an amazing thing when I look back and go, man, he kept me. He kept, I wasn't, I've done some dumb stuff. The Lord probably shouldn't have kept me, but he did, right? We can all relate with that. Like, that wasn't me. I never once pulled myself up by the bootstraps. No, God drug me out of holes. God lifted me up. God brought me down when I needed to come down. He was keeping me all along. I've been kept by Christ. You are being kept by Christ. You know you have victory over sin because Christ keeps you. He protects you. Right? Uh, John 17, 12 says that Jesus is praying, right? He's, he's uh, in the upper room. There's only 11 men in this upper room. Judas has already left. He's gone to betray Jesus. There's 11 men in the upper room, and they're about to leave this upper room to head towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus prays for these 11 men. And he says, Where, when, while I was with them, Praying to the Father, I kept them in your name. Jesus keeps us. When when I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given to me. Praise God, because that some of them were knuckleheads. Right? Like Peter. Like, like, like Peter, who was received the harshest buke in the New Testament. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus said. Like Peter, who would deny his Lord three times. And what did Jesus say? Satan wants to sift you like wheat, Peter, but I've prayed for you that your faith won't fail. And then the crucifixion comes and Peter shies in shame, denies his Lord three times. And the Lord shows up after his resurrection and restores Peter. Like he said, I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. It's Christ who keeps us. He kept his disciples. He kept them in his name, right? I have guarded them, Jesus said, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Christ keeps us. Christ protects us. You are protected by Christ. Nothing can take the salvation that God has given to you. You can know that you have eternal life and nothing can separate you from that love of God. You are secure in Christ. It is he who keeps us. He said in in John 8, nothing can take you out of my hand, snatch you out of my hand. Indeed, nothing can snatch you out of the father's hand. We are kept by Jesus. And if we have been in him for any amount of time, we can look back and see the full assurance of that. He's kept me. He's kept me. In spite of me. I might have even tried to walk away. He didn't let me. He keeps those who belong to him. Jesus keeps us. We have victory over sin and we can know that because Jesus keeps us. Jude 24 says... Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, not only has he kept us, and not only do we have this wonderful ability to look back at Christ's faithfulness and keeping us all of our days, but it says he will keep us from sinning. We can overcome sin. Indeed, we have 
overcome sin in Christ. We have victory over sin. He has the power to keep us from sinning. We can look to Jesus. We can ask Him for help in our time of need, in our temptation. And Scripture tells us that He always leaves a way out. Now to Him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. We know we have victory over sin when we stop sinning. We know we have victory over sin because Christ keeps us. And we know because Satan can't lay a hold of us. Right? He says, He says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Literally grab hold of. Satan cannot grab hold of you. Satan cannot lay hold of you. You are off limits. You are off limits. He can't destroy you. He can't do anything to you. You are, you are uh, protected by God. Right? 1 John 3.8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He has no claim to you. You are Christ's. He cannot control you. Because you are Christ's. He cannot snatch you away because you are in the hands of Christ. Satan has no hold on you. You have victory over sin because it is Christ who keeps you. It is Christ who keeps you from the evil one. Is that not what Jesus prayed in 17 also? I do not desire, Lord, that you would take, Father, that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. He has no hold. He has no hold on you. You have victory over sin. Victory over sin. Satan has no hold on the believer. When we come to know we have victory over sin, we are compelled to walk in that victory. Are you walking in that victory? Right. When we realize we're a son of the king, like Shasta and the horse and his boy, once we know we belong to the king and we are his heir, we then want to wear the clothes of the king, conduct ourselves like the king, Live for and like our king. And when we understand that we are victorious over sin, that we have victory over sin, we will then begin to walk in light of that truth. Amen? Second, we can know that we belong to God. Look at verse 19. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. What a stark, contrasting statement. We know that we are from God. We are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We are from God. We, believers, those who have been redeemed by Christ, those who have eternal life, we, uh, we know that we are from God. God, 
And knowing that we are from God, we know the outcome of our faith. We know where we're going. We're not aimless in this life like the rest of mankind. We have no wonder of tomorrow like the rest of mankind. We don't wonder what's after death like the rest of mankind. We shouldn't even really be concerned about tomorrow like the rest of mankind because God is sovereign in our lives. And we trust that tomorrow will be perfect and that we will be obedient to whatever comes our way for the glory of God. And it doesn't matter what tomorrow holds, right? We know the outcome of our faith. First Peter 1, 3 through 9 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What a beautiful promise. What a beautiful perspective. What a right and true perspective. This is the outcome of our faith. Right? We know that we are from God. We, we know the outcome of our faith. We now know our mission. We are called to make disciples of all nations, right? Uh, we are called to live godly in this life, to be holy as he is holy, right? He, he, we know that we can, we know that we have eternal life and that God hears our prayers and answers our prayers. And we know that, there's, there, that there is victory over sin. And we know the mission that is before us. And in light of the mission that is before us and the world that is against us, we need to know that we belong to God. And this is the outcome of our faith. This is the outcome of our faith. If we understand that this is the outcome of our faith, then what hindrance is there? What can this life possibly bring against us? Look at the contrast. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Basically, I get the picture of swimming upstream, right? Salmon, fascinating life cycle, right? Uh, they're, they're born and they float down river and spend their whole life swimming back to the place that they were born so that they can lay eggs and their little eggs can float down the river and their little children can swim back upstream. It's a life full of swimming upstream, right? And that's what it feels like for the believer, Right. As all the world lies in the power of the evil one of Satan. There is no resisting. They're dead in their sins. They are all about filling up the passions of their flesh. They're all about it. They love sin. Sin rules in their bodies and they love it. 
right? They are under the power of the evil one. And, 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 and they're on their home field. Satan is the God of this world, right? He is the influencer over such. And we have been made alive in Christ. We are now seated with him in heavenly places. We are aliens. We are foreigners in the world because this world is not our home. We are a people of the kingdom. We are a people of God made for the city of God. We are the children of God. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We are the glory of God in the earth. We are his people. The crown of his creation. Center of his creation. Right? And the rest of the world lies in the power of the evil one. We're swimming upstream. Right? Not only do we know the outcome of our faith, but we know the journey is going to seem stacked against us. Anybody relate? Feel like the world's stacked against you around every corner, right? Those caught up in the lies and futility of this world system are controlled and captivated by the power and authority of Satan himself, the evil one, right? It is Satan who binds the minds of unbelievers in 2 Corinthians 4. It's Satan who snatches the word of God from human hearts in Matthew 13. It's Satan who will deceive by miraculous signs and wonders. It's Satan who entices through fleshly desire and pride. Right? It's Satan who's enticing. And what does that bring? It's like it just breeds things getting worse and worse and worse and worse. So many broken homes. Such a godless society. The fleshly desires and the result that comes from that is, in many cases, a fatherless and motherless child. Everybody just after the passions of their own flesh. Right? We, we see it everywhere. And pride. Right? He entices through pride, the pride of life we learned earlier in the book of John. And that's so difficult for us as we are swimming upstream through this life, right? Through this world, it feels like. And we work with people like this, right? That are, that are prideful, all about their own name and, 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 and puffing themselves up. And it's hard to work in that atmosphere, right? It's, it's under, when, when there are people under the control of Satan, it can be frustrating, Satan has this entire world in his pocket. Apart from us, his saints. He's the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. And this is instructive for us who follow Christ, right? We're in a global conflict with an enemy that influences and in many instances controls cultures. Right? It's quite obvious that Satan is influencing the culture today, right? Uh, Satan influences societies, finances, right? I mean, uh, watch the World Health or, or World uh, Economic Forum. Uh, 
and see the sin and the depth of depravity that those people with the most money in the world are pushing, right? He's influencing finances. Satan influences governments. Doing a good job at home. Right? The evil empire under the sway of the evil one opposes the advancement of the gospel. Satan hates the gospel going forward. He hates the gospel going forward. It, it, he, wants, he wants to see an end to ministries of mercy. He wants to see an end of care for the weak and the helpless. He's doing a good job in California where they got the plan for homelessness. Let's just open up homeless camps and give these people enough money to buy enough fentanyl to kill themselves over the next year. And we'll take care of the problem. That's loving and kind, right? There was a time when the church was the ones who cared for before we gave that responsibility over to the government, where the church cared for these needs, where the church took care of these needs and culture has changed, right? Satan's Satan's working hard, right? He hates who we are and what we're trying to accomplish. And this requires on our part a wartime mentality and commitment. We're at war. All the world lies in the power of the evil one. You've been given a commission by Christ to share the gospel. He's given you power over sin. Right? You have victory over sin. You know you're from God. Right? You have eternal life. You have whatever you ask of me according to my will. Now go. Against the grain of the world. Right? There's a military-ish mindset here, right? Sacrifices must be made and strategies clothed in spiritual wisdom must be created and implemented. We've got to put on the full armor of God. We have to know the word. We have to be prayed up. This is why Paul gives this exhortation at the end of 1 Thessalonians 5 to pray without ceasing. Right? To continue together and build one another up in love and and good works. But know this, as we move forward, we are children of God. A God who is in us and who is greater than he who is in the world. Chapter 4, verse 4. And we are his and he will protect us. Right? We're going against the grain. We're going against the flow of the rest of the world, but God is with us. And he is greater than he who is in the world. Right? We will have success in bringing him glory because he will glorify himself. Right? We're going the opposite direction of the rest of the world. Right? If that's you, if you're going the opposite direction of the rest of the world for the glory of Christ, what assurance that you belong to God. What assurance, right? When hard times come because you're going in the direction of God away from the rest of the world. When persecutions would come because you're going the way of Christ and away from the rest of the world. 
when people leave you out of your circles because you're going the way of Christ and not the way of the rest of the world, what assurance that you belong to God. It's, it's tempting to feel bad and to be down and, and to let the emotions of this world get to us, but what assurance that we belong to God. The fact that we can see that we are going upstream. We are swimming upstream. Lies are going this way and we're going towards the truth. Right? We can know that we belong to God. Romans 8, 31 through 39. I'll read this right quick. What then shall we uh, say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is condemned? Uh, who is to condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, indeed is interceding for us. God is interceding for you at the. Uh, Jesus is interceding for you at the right hand of God. Even now, who can bring any charge against you? Right? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Here's the question: Shall tribulation, or distress? Or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Here's the answer. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can anyone separate us from the love of Christ? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. As you go in the opposite direction in the rest of the world, as the rest of the world know that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. There is no tribulation. There is no distress you will go through. There is no persecution or famine. If you are left with nothing, you have everything. You, you have Christ. You have Christ. You can know that you belong to God. And last, you can know what is true. That's important in this day. You can know what is true. Look at verse uh, 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Truth today by the world's standards is, is relative, right? By that I mean... They would say what's true for me is true for me and what's true for you is true for you. That kind of cancels out what truth is, right? It can't be true for you and true for me if it's different because it's not truth. There's only one truth. Truth is universal and God has spoken that which is true. Right? The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So how will we know what is true? How will we know what is true? Jesus 
has revealed the Father to us. Right? And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to reveal God, right? Uh, Luke 10, says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, says Jesus, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. God, the Father, must be revealed through the Son, and it's Jesus who revealed Him. I like in, in, in the upper room discourse in John, I think it's 16, right? I think it's Philip that says, uh, it, show us the Father. It will be enough for us if you'll just show us the Father. And he, he's, have you, how long have you been with me? I'm telling you, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father, Jesus says. For I have made him known. And in John 5, after the healing at the pool of Bethesda, he's approached by the scribes and Pharisees. And he, Jesus says, I don't speak on my own accord, for I only speak what the Father tells me. I only do what the Father tells me. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus has revealed the Father to us. Right? We were once at enmity with God. And God in His graciousness has caused us to be born again. And Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has revealed God to us. He's revealed God to us. As we come to know the Father, we likewise come to know the basis for spiritual discernment. How will we know truth? We will know truth. Right? Because we know the Father. Right? 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the spiritual God. The, the, of, of the Spirit of God, right? The natural man can't understand the things of the Spirit. It's not possible. It's a chasm that can't be crossed. If one is dead in their trespasses and sins, they cannot see the things of God. They must be awakened to them. They must be shown to them. They must be awakened in the Spirit so that they can discern spiritual things. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. They are spiritually discerned. How will I know truth from error? How will I know the truth from a lie? Because this, my new nature that's been given me. Because the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit at work within me knows. Right? We know when we hear something and go, that don't smell right. That doesn't seem consistent with the nature of God that has been revealed to me through the person of Christ. That's why we study his attributes. We want to know who God is. So that we have some spiritual discernment, right? As we come to know the word, we come to know the truth as God has revealed it. And we, can, we know error. We know lies, right? The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And, and what, who is he? He is a liar and the father of lies, John 8 tells us. He is the father of all lies. And we will know the lies. We will know the words of the evil one. We will know the ploys of the enemy because we know the truth. It's been spiritually discerned. 
The Holy Spirit has given us understanding of the Father. We know the Father. We know the very character and nature of the Father. And when we hear what is false, we know it's false. Because the Spirit at work within us, we will know what is true. We can know what is true. You don't have to wonder. We can know what is true, right? As we swim upstream in a river of lies, how will we know the truth? Because God is working in us. The Spirit is working in us. The Word is working in us. Glorifying Christ. And that's the direction we're going. And it, it's, it's sad, but often we're swimming upstream through this river of lives pursuing truth. And sometimes a lie looks good, doesn't it? I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if you do, you have an advocate with Jesus Christ, the righteous. Confess that sin. And align yourself to the truth. And let's go upstream, right? You can know what is true. Last, we must stay away from false gods. He says, little children, keep yourself from idols. Tim Keller helps us to see what idolatry is in in a statement he made. The ultimate reason for any sin is that something besides Christ is functioning as an alternative righteousness or source of confidence. And it's thus an idol, a pseudo-savior, which creates inordinate desires. He's been writing this whole book for the purpose of you knowing that you belong to God, the true and living God. Right? He begins the book with testimony concerning Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Because it's only in that name that we can be saved. By no other name can man be saved. And so the the basis of his book is that we doctrinally understand who Jesus is and that salvation is in Christ alone. Right. He's given us all these tests. Uh, uh, Do you believe in Jesus? Right. How about your life? Is your life reflect the, 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 the life of the saved, those who belong to him? Right. Are you being conformed to the image of Jesus? Are you being sanctified? Right? Have you run into this wall called sin and, and recognized it because of the work of the Holy Spirit and go, I don't want that anymore. I desire the things of God. And, and if we have run into that and we now desire the things of God and, and, and our, we don't, our lives don't look like they used to. We don't desire the things that we used to desire, but now we desire the things of God and we're moving in that direction. We're coming to know his word more Uh, as we live our lives in Christ. Christ is doing something. He's keeping us right. And we experience him keeping us and our faith and trust grows in Jesus because he's keeping us. And we come to love his people because we're alone in this world apart from the people of God, because they all lie in the power of the evil one. Right. And we can have assurance. He wants us to know that you are a believer. You are a saint. You are loved by God. You belong to God. He has put his mark on you. You are his. You can know. You can know that you have eternal life. You don't have to wonder about tomorrow. You don't have to care about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring what tomorrow brings and Christ will fulfill all that is needed for tomorrow. Don't worry about it. But go and proclaim my name. 
By the way, the rest of the world's going to hate you for it. But you're not of this world. You can know that you have eternal life. And when you run into problems and when you run into issues, whether it's out there or whether it's in the church, we can bring those things before the throne of grace. You can do so confidently. Without reservation, you don't have to wonder, is this too ridiculous for God? But you can take any and everything before the throne of grace and pour it out to God and be comforted by God, be renewed by God, be challenged by God. Whatever you need in that moment, God will give you. You can take anything to the Lord in prayer. It says he hears you because you belong to him. You're his child. He hears you. If it's not according to his will, he won't give it to you like a good father. If it's according to his will, he will grant that request that you have made of him according to his will for his glory and for his name and for our good. Can you imagine not knowing that you have victory over sin? Can you imagine walking through this life as a believer, not understanding that you have victory over sin and pounding your own? How many of you pounded your own self over the head when you've sinned and wallowed in it for a time? Rather than understanding that I have victory over my sin through the person and work of Christ, I don't have to remain there. I have victory over sin because of Christ. Right. Though the world is against me because they're against him. And though I'm pursuing Christ and the things that please Christ, I know that the rest of the world is going the opposite direction and they're going to hate me. But that's OK, because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The Satan has a plan, but my God's plan is greater. It will prosper regardless of what happens to me. Right. I know the outcome of my faith. And we can know what is true. I've heard people, I've had people t tell me that they're concerned. They're concerned because of all the, all the uh, 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 manipulation and things that are going on in the world that, that, that they may believe something that is false. And if you're, if you're a believer, the Lord is going to lead you into all truth. The Lord leads us into all truth. The Spirit gives us discernment to know the difference between what is true and what is false. The Holy Spirit is at work in us. We can know what is true. Right? So as we conclude, I encourage you to consider this victory that you have over sin. You don't have to remain in sin. You don't have to wallow in your sin, but set your affections, your emotions, your gaze, your sight completely upon the will of God. Completely upon the will of God. What does God want this day from me? Not what am I going to do today? What does God require of me today? What does God require of my month? What does God require of me this year? What does God require of my life? And how can I live to the glory of that name? 
rather than my own that will perish and be forgotten. But in Christ, we have eternal life. Right? You need to know. And I hope you know. I hope you know that you are in the faith because you can know we have assurance of salvation. God gives assurance of saving faith. And you can know. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today and for your word and for your grace and for this wonderful book that has been a sanctifying book. That has been a book that has challenged our beliefs, that has challenged our morals, oh God, and has challenged our love. Father, I can see the fruit already of this book as our love for one another has increased through your word, oh God, and I thank you and pray, Father, that you would continue to increase our love for one another because all we've all each other got. As the rest of the world lies in the power of Satan and influence of Satan, this is our very family, oh God. And I pray, Father, that as we walk through this life and, and encounter sin, that, that we would be a people who are quick to pray for one another, that we may be restored. I pray the fruit of that would be a sanctification beyond what we could fathom. A church that seeks to make much of your name, O oh God. A church that desires to swim upstream against the, 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 the currents of culture and government and everything else, O oh God. Make us to be a pillar in this community, in this area, in this region. A pillar of light going forth, shining the glory of Christ and standing upon that name and walking in faithfulness before you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would grant these things. I pray above all that we would know that everyone in this place today would know and have full assurance that they belong to Christ, that they are held by Christ, that they are kept by Christ, and that nothing can snatch them out of the hand of you, O God. Nothing. We have that certainty and assurance, and I thank you for it, Lord. And I pray that the fruit of that assurance would be great in the days and months to come. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.